Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Stream Time Sports. I'm your host, Nick Meacham, and deputising, I suppose, for, for Chris Stone, who is not able to join us for this week's episode. But fear not, you will not just be listening to my dulcet tones. I'm joined today by Steve McCaskill, tech editor, as it's still uh, these days, Steve, a tech editor at Sports Pro, who's going to help me through um, this solo effort I'm running through today and take us on a bit of a journey with around the business of gaming, particularly with EAFC. So, Steve, how's it going? Wonderful, yes. Very uh, formidable shoes to step into with, with Mr. Stone, and I won't use this as an excuse to give myself a promotion. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, just enjoying the uh, the winter of sport now that Christmas is 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 now a bit of a bit of memory although you know enjoy the darts and the and the football over christmas but now we get into the the nitty-gritty of things that might be on espn the ocho uh plenty of handball winter sports and of course the international bowls so uh, they get very busy yeah, I would say that uh, for those familiar with Chris's uh, interests, which um, he made you know, an effort to point out his love for darts in, in the last episode and and also his, obviously his love for the NFL, many of those interests Steve uh, definitely follows suit with. But Steve is very much the quintessential lover of all sports, I would say, or nearly all sports. Steve, you have a very um, diverse and eclectic mix of interests of sports that you follow and keep us up to date within in the Sports Pro Towers. Um, what's some of the sport you'll be watching over this sort of this sort of January period is there anything that comes across seasonally that you follow that maybe wouldn't be on most people's radars uh, well it's the the European handball championships at the minute which I had never seen handball before lockdown but I was looking for things to occupy my my day and it came up on the on the Swiss uh, the Swiss broadcaster that Switzerland had qualified for the World Cup in 2021 and Growing up in Switzerland, I always thought Switzerland were good at handball. They're not. <laughs> they hadn't qualified since like 1994. But I got into it, and they only qualified for that one because of uh, a COVID withdrawal. But they're back in European Championships, and they they drew 26 all with the tournament favourites France the other night, very close close to winning. So I guess that's something that's been I've been using as a distraction from Manchester United's awful form. Uh, still still watching Harlequins. Very much enjoyed. Uh, Green Bay's shock uh, playoff victory over Dallas on on Sunday night, which which was very enjoyable. And tonight, I think in, in my living room, there's like in you know millions across the country, there's going to be a battle for the remote between Love Island All Stars and the night night skiing in uh, in Flakau. I'm sure many people can relate to that, of course. Night skiing in Flakau. Do they do that in the dark, or wear, wear little spotlights, or is it all? Uh, you know, what, what's what's the difference there to a regular race? Is it just done at night, like a bit like the F one is when it's done in like Singapore? I mean, sadly, for safety reasons, they do have light. Um, <laughs> but yes, they they light they light up the slopes. Really powerful floodlights. It's quite a spectacle. There's, there's a couple of night night races on on the calendar, and they, they some of them tend to be uh, party races, particularly one in, in Schladming, which I don't really like the term bucket list, but I do. Uh, going to that race is 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 on there. It's it's a bit like the uh, I think it's the, the the waste disposal open or something in, in phoenix arizona uh, that becomes waste, this, the waste management this, open i think it's called yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> it's much better so it becomes a surname <laughs> it's one of my favorite along with the pop tarts bowl of course in the in college football it's one of the better better sponsors but yes it's this party atmosphere and it is actually worth checking out and i'm being slightly facetious as uh, i do love my skiing but yeah that is one that I'm, i watch out for for those that didn't see that pop tart um the pop tart bowl i think it was i read somewhere 
um, that it was like nearly a billion dollars in Pop-Tart sales happens in the US per year, <laughs> which is just ludicrous. It's like the GDP of, well, probably like somewhere like Jamaica where I'm at the moment, uh, and for all for just Pop-Tarts. And they did their most incredible activation that you just could never ex- ever consider seeing it anywhere else in the world, save perhaps somewhere in Asia, which is, can be a little bit quirky sometimes. I mean, Japan. But um, what did they, what, what they do? Was that after the match, basically the winning team got... Uh, can you remember that? Can you explain that one, Steve? Basically, it was it was billed as the world's first edible mascot. And so the mascot... Bloke in a... In a Pop-Tarts costume was fed into a ceremonial giant toaster and out came this giant Edward Pop-Tart, which the uh, the victorious team, who I'm afraid my, whose name uh, does escape me, feasted on this this now cooked, <laughs> cooked Pop-Tart. Uh, I say this with love as someone who loves American sport, pretty much everything, big fan of, of the US in general. It's one of the things I'm glad happens, happens, but I'm not sure I'm ready for it to happen over here. <laughs> Uh, it, it, you know, can you imagine Wimbledon, the giant strawberry? Uh, I mean, it, it wouldn't be the same, would it? <laughs> a giant strawberry gets cut up in a blender. They put into some ice cream, <laughs> some strawberries and cream. I mean, that would be that would be. Uh, that would have the um, the RSP. I don't know, do you call it the RSPCA, the the animal activists uh, knocking on the door. Uh, not the animal activists. What am I talking about? This is talking about fruit here. I've I've gone I've gone on a, on a tangent here. Let's uh, let's get back on the on, on to get a bit focused. <laughs> Otherwise, I should cut this out. But hey, we don't don't like to cut out on the stream time sport well, podcast. So, uh, people can realise how much of a muppet I am sometimes. Right, Steve. So we've got lots to to talk about today, and we wanted to spend a bit of time talking about. The business of gaming as it relates to sports in particular, probably I'd say arguably the world's most famous sporting game really, which was was FIFA uh, and probably still is in, some terms, in terms of brand, but it's no longer. And it's now shifted to this EAFC or EA Sports. I think it's EAFC. They, they've actually called it now. So we want to talk a little about the history of that, not just for the game itself, but indeed obviously this is a business podcast so talking about some of the business components of that and what's gone what's what's gone on behind the scenes what what's the, where we've got to in terms of the result in terms of what fifa as the governing body has decided to do and indeed what ea sports the, the gaming uh, games producer has done so there's lots to dig into here because lots of sports have dipped their toes and have had quite success, quite a lot of success in the gaming space in varying ways. And some others have, have come and gone pretty quickly. And everyone's tried to mimic, I think, probably a FIFA or maybe a Madden as the quintessential um, gaming titles in the sports space. So, yeah, lots of sort of interesting stuff to cover here, not just for people who've probably played the game over the years in different various guises, but also because there's a really interesting business behind it all. So, so Steve, that's a bit of scene setting. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, firstly, just the history of the game FIFA uh, and how it all came to be. How did they get into a situation where a governing body partners with someone like EA Sports and creates the world's leading football title? Um, because obviously it hasn't. It was. It's been around and had some competition along the way, but it's obviously became one of the, really the the tentpole, the flagship product in this space for for many years now. So, EA became well-known for sporting video games, mainly through its NFL and NHL simulations, I guess the back end of the 1980s and early 1990s on the, the Sega Mega Drive, that, that that sort of era. And it had huge success with NFL, of course. That was endorsed by John Madden, who basically came on board, provided he could have some sort of input, and it was as realistic as possible. And so they got him involved, they got the NFL license, and that sort of set the 
blueprint for pretty much every other sport they would go into. They were able to use their financial might to get these licenses, often on exclusive terms, um, which would which crowd others. I mean, not not exclusivity wasn't as important back then; it is it, it is now. But the point was, they got that license. They, if you were playing their simulations, you have the right teams, the right players. It would look and feel as close to real thing as possible with the technology of the time. Now, EA, being an American company, wasn't really too interested in, in soccer. Uh, but a group of developers at EA decided, we're going to make a soccer game. And they did it almost under the radar. It, it was such a small team. EA was so uninterested. It, it, it was like management weren't really aware of what was going on. And they say that's probably the only reason that they weren't cancelled, because they didn't register on, the, on their radar. Now they started creating this game and thought, hmm, "Hang on, this this is this is quite good. This we've done this quite quite uh, you know quite well." And again, this is a business podcast; it's not a gaming podcast. But basically, they they did something called an isometric view, which was different to most other games at the time, between top down or side on. And so, for two D gaming consoles like Mega Drive or even PCs at the time, that was quite revolutionary. So they went they went to top management and said, "We want to release this." Management agreed. Oh, this is this is quite good. But then they decided to go, you know, a bit, bit all, uh, all management and a bit EA on them. And they, they, they started to make some changes. But above all, they wanted a license. They wanted the, the you know, the, the same as the NFL, NHL. But of course, that doesn't exist in soccer. There is no overarching governing body that controls all that intellectual property. Now, their first choice was the World Cup 94 license. Uh, this was in 1993, but uh, what, what became uh, the first FIFA was released. But that was controlled by a company called US Gold. They couldn't get on that. The idea was to capitalize on the World Cup being in the, in the US. So they, what else can we get? What about FIFA, the governing body? Now, it was an interesting choice because FIFA doesn't have any intellectual property. It does have the World Cup, as we discussed. It already, you know, that had already been uh, licensed out. They just needed a name. They needed that to to satisfy to satisfy management. Now they had some meetings. Again, FIFA didn't know how to value this. Really, I have heard anecdotally that th- this meeting was conducted over a dinner, basically, and they, they, they no one's revealed how much it cost initially. So they got the name. They get any intellectual property. The game launched with international teams, no real players, because they're owned by clubs, international competitions. And it was hugely successful. Now, over the years, the scope of this license increased, and you know, FIFA and soccer came. FIFA, um, you know, went on for thirty years, and they did include real players eventually. But these were through agreements with, like I said, the the clubs, the federations, the FIFA Pro, which is the players' union. Nothing to do with FIFA, but FIFA became synonymous with with this game. That was the brand, and this was a really good deal for for both organizations for ea sports it gave it legitimacy look our product is endorsed by world soccer's governing body and for fifa it made it relevant to gamers around the world it it was basically free advertising free promotion for it and it was paid for it so it was better than free it received money for doing very little and receiving very little in the way of intellectual property so that's sort of how it came about. That's how this game was endorsed by FIFA. It was basically a an interesting sort of side project that became this global phenomenon, and, and FIFA was a vehicle to get that that initial legitimacy and get it in the hands of as many players as possible. And so, one of the, the key success, the reasons it was so successful, other than perhaps the gaming experience, um, not that I 
I was have played it over the years, but I w- wouldn't say I've played every version. But um, there was a obviously one of the main competitors was the Pro Pro Evolution Soccer, right? That was its main competitor at a, at a period of time. Anyway, I don't know if that was just a one off or um, I believe that was quite competitive for a while was like which one is the better game the difference was though one of the big differences was they didn't have the licensing rights they didn't have the ability to use let's say the modern day uh nil a uh, name image likeness of the athletes and players which is really what held it back in many instances because i remember that playing that game and you'd be playing as manchester red or Manchester Blue, but you would not play as Man City or Man Manchester United, and 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 the names uh, all, all were randomly jumbled, and it was a, a little bit confusing. And that that sort of realism we talk about a lot, even the modern day, right, with gaming, that the the drive to strive to be as real as possible. That feels like that was such an important move by esports to get that um, those those that those naming rights in place. And I guess that was all with Thief Pro, was your point, right? That that had to be done with them, not with the governing body itself. Well, I can tell you that yeah, Pro Evo was the better game for many years. As, as someone who who played both, I was a Pro Evo player for you know the best part of a, a decade before the ISS Pro Evolution, and essentially that's what happened. But in the early days, it didn't matter as much because the technology wasn't quite there. So having the authentic kits didn't really make too much of a difference because you couldn't really make it out up until I'd say the, the PS2 or PS3 era. So we're talking early 2000s. Uh, that, that's when that became a big a bigger deal. And I think most people were happy playing Pro Evo provided it was the better game. And Konami, which which created uh, Prohibition Soccer, they eventually did get a deal with FIFA Pro, so they got the real names. They did get some licenses. They got... You know, international teams, they had deals with Liga, La Liga, Serie A, and some individual clubs. And what happened is EA turned the screw. They basically, you know, this, the financial power. So on the licensing side, they tied up a lot of these leagues to exclusivity. So Konami couldn't couldn't touch them. Um, for example, the uh, EA has a very long-running deal with, with the Premier League, which basically means that Konami could only have two clubs from the Premier League if it negotiated with them directly to include them in their games. So, for example, Provo 6 just had Manchester United, it had Arsenal, the rest were those those names. So the, it did it did have some licenses, EA decided to close the gap. The second part is EA has so much money that it could devote it to development and it actually started to change its game so it was more like Pro Evo. It also hired quite a few... Uh, there was also another game called LMA Manager, which was a console-based management game, which for a brief, it was never threatening football manager or um, a championship manager, but it did well on console, and basically they hired a lot of people from that to improve the overall experience. So EA just used its financial might to, to effectively squeeze out the competition. It's so expensive to create a a football video game in terms of licensing, in terms of development. It take it takes years to even get to a, get to get to the point. The, there are people trying to do it now and they're having to take a, diff- a different tack. So Pro Evo just eventually couldn't compete. It did close the gap with licensing to an extent, but by then I think it was already, um, the ship had already sailed to a degree and it's now completely pivoted to esports and free to play with eFootball and trying something completely different. And now talking about the business model a little bit, so one of the, and, and also indeed a bit of the gaming component, I suppose, but one of the, the real turning points in terms of this being even bigger an even bigger, I guess, revenue generator as well as uh, a gaming property that people would live and breathe every single day was the shift for EA Sports to turn the game into something that you could play online, right? And play against friends and, and 
and I guess shift away from the the seasonality of, of a new game release every year to have this ability to play online against your friends and always be on with this game all the time. So there was never really a downtime for, for, for a game like this, which I think hearing people like Peter Moore, I think was the EA Sports CEO at the time, talk about this. He also talked about how much that, that was really a game changer to see the, the rate of consumption skyrocket and also their ability to understand what consumption behavior was like almost in real time was a was a hugely uh, valuable commodity for them. Um, do you, do you have a sense of how impactful that was from a, a business perspective? Were they able to generate a lot more revenue as a result of that? Or was it just that the game was more valuable to the users? Uh, it's, it's a bit of both, really. So as you say, there, there, most sports games have a, or at least traditionally had a cyclical um, element to it, where a new game is released each year, you have new gameplay updates, you would have... Uh, up-to-date teams and you know typically over every year period all that development would, would go into it now with modern consoles and being able to connect to the internet that impacted things in two ways one is as you say play uh, players can play against friends or, or strangers online and the second is you can issue updates throughout that season it's not what what ships on the disc isn't the final product i know you pcs have a patches for years but if on the playstation 2 that was kind of it really yeah, the disc and that was it for a, that was it for a year so you've hit the nail on the head in two ways firstly the most traditional way to play a soccer game was the career mode and of course again that would eventually have a finite amount of appeal you've done everything in, in, in the game being able to play online and in different modes that is able to extend the lifespan of that of that title it's always new challenges always new thing new things to play and the second is you can you can release extra modes so most people now play ultimate sorry, ultimate team in fifa so that's the main way most people play play fifa uh so just i'm trying to summarize this simply basically it's a bit like football stickers where you un you unlock packs of cards you receive cards that are usually random there is a marketplace where you can buy and sell them as well and you're trying to put the best possible team uh from from various players from around the world of of, of soccer and there's various challenges and there's there's parameters in how these players will play well together so if the same nationality same club they've got links the more they play together the more the more chemistry they have that's the uh, the binding mechanism in, in this and what's ultimate team is almost a microcosm of how the industry has changed it was initially a paid piece of downloadable content as an extra mode it was then included as part of the game because ea realized that people were spending real money on this they were buying in-game currency to buy packs um because they're trying to get the best possible team and then eventually it was just you know it became the main part of the game and ea is fairly i would say unique in many ways in that it benefits from both the the cyclical nature of the release schedule and the ongoing service element because each year you pay 50 pounds 60 dollars whatever for the new fifa game or ea sports fc24 and you then spend money in ultimate team so they're getting additional revenue and they're getting upfront upfront costs from it so they are they now have a way to engage fans throughout the season keep them uh, engaged through new challenges and you you know uh, ultimate team has, has different um limited edition items new um, in-game squad building challenges and you've got a way to get more revenue it the, the relationship the, the financial relationship doesn't end when they pay the money to to, to get the game it, it continues throughout throughout the year and then unlike what we call you know live service games or, or games as a service which are continuous that it's the same thing year after year 
everything resets each year with 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 FIFA. So you have to spend more money and more time to build your team up again. So it's got a unique business model. It's, it's almost having its cake and eat it. It is a really unique model. And I think the re- reason I wanted to talk about some of this uh, side of things before we dig a little into the now is because I think you can start to get a sense and of some of the things that sports has been trying to do around driving incremental revenues and, and average revenue per user around memberships and accessibility through season tickets. There's some, there's some things that kind of mimic what's been happening in gaming for some time and that's been really well received because fans absolutely love it because they're able to get something of what they perceive is really valuable, right? I.e. like the, the buying the packs and decks. I go onto YouTube and there are the hundreds of influencers, if not more, who just do filming where they record they buy packs of these of these like decks to get them to to pull players out of those decks like you're talking about collectibles and like we've talked about the nft craze and so forth that that's what they've already been doing for some time and those people get thousands and hundreds of thousands of subscribers of people just watching people open up decks um for these ultimate team games so it is a huge ecosystem that i think sometimes people in sports don't really understand the significance and scale of it and how it is self-fulfilling because of the what happens on by influencers, gaming influencers, basically outside of other space. So, um, yeah, it's it's a whole other beast than just say someone buying a game every year. That that's for sure. And in fact, I think people who are buying those those packs. I remember hearing, um, I think it was Robbie Young who um, heads up uh, what uh, what's that company called? Anemica Brands. And thank thank you. Um, and he was saying that they they launched an F one uh, um, blockchain based game and. The, the, the level of spend once they were on the game was 10x, 100x what they would pay to play the game itself. And it was the F1 game, even though they closed it down. Uh, and the point is that once you get them in and they, they're bought into it, they all spend whatever very comfortably at a click of a button. And that's really what gaming has been successful at, where sports has really struggled. And indeed, the sports media industry uh, has uh, struggled a lot with. I mean, weirdly, Ultimate Team is almost... A really good use case for nfts but of course that would mean they couldn't release those cyclical games and reset the game world each year and uh because you'd be able to transfer your items from from one one year to another i mean i i do wonder if we'll see you know, eventually go down that live service route where they they just keep basically have a single platform it might reset each season or something or something like that but they don't have the free sorry they don't have the upfront cost it's free to, it's free to play it'd be interesting to see if they ever get to that point they decide the opportunity is, is is greater but you're absolutely right in terms of the engaged ecosystem that ea has this is for many people it includes people that aren't even interested in football full stop like it's people that are just interested in in football as a, as, as a video game and they're learning through uh they're learning about the world world of, of football through that, which I'm I'm sure we'll get onto is why it was such a you know good thing for for FIFA and that that's what they may they may have lost, but we're seeing a lot of sport mimic what games have been doing for years. This is just one area we've seen it in broadcasting. I don't know if you've noticed, but broadcasts look a lot more like video games these days to me, particularly with the cinematic cameras. It used to be the other way around. EA used to try and make it look as as, as much like the you know a television broadcast as possible. Now it's I'm not I've lost track now. Is it is it art imitating life imitating art? I'm not really sure what 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 what's happening, but it's definitely in the way. It's incredibly influential, and I think it, there's one thing I, I would say is I think. The sports industry for a little while has been, if not snobby about video games, it's been ambivalent to the the power that they have. They've seen it as a a, a licensing opportunity that a throwaway 
thing to get get a small bit of revenue i mean look at the slew of licensed games in the 80s and 90s they were just you know people just stick their name and stick their face on it they don't really care once the product goes out but now i think everyone's seeing the power of them as an engagement tool seeing the power of them to to learn things from business models and they they really are part of the sports industry now i don't think anyone can really ignore that absolutely and i think just now we're going to move on to a bit more of the business but i think one thing that is missing on people's radars is people particularly older generation see gaming as almost like a a thing for for uh, for hermits basically people that hide away lock themselves in a room and never talk to anyone but actually gaming is one of the most social things that a modern modern day um gamer uh, gamer can do you know they, they're constantly talking with friends playing with friends connecting with new people they see it as, a, as almost like a social activity as much as uh being you know in a room in gaming which i do think is another factor that people I sometimes lost on um but, bef- but let's let's move things on um steve because i'm conscious we we spent a good time scene setting here but let's talk a little bit more about where fifa and ea fell apart what what happened why did why is the fifa game no more basically and, and why did ea decide to go down this different direction um i'll give you the short answer first and it's money uh, a bit more of a a, a, long, a longer answer is they failed to re- renegotiate their licensing deal and there, there were a couple for other reason for that, I'd say the, the the straw that broke the camel's back was financial. Essentially, FIFA wanted more money. Uh, that they, they, I believe, they wanted to double their their the, the revenue we're getting for that, which I believe they were get over ten years. They were getting a, a billion, and I think they wanted they wanted more than that. And EA, I think, were already reluctant to do that, given that they felt that they weren't getting a lot from that license in terms of intellectual property as well as we've discussed it was the world cup every well the the, the men's world cup every four years women's world cup every, every four years which is what's now been added to the game and the terms of that license agreement severely restricted what they could do commercially and from a developmental point of view so their license was for one single category and it was i think it was video game simulation that was what they they had. They couldn't branch out into other areas. So if they wanted to go into NFT games, they couldn't. If they can go to other genres of gaming, they 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 couldn't. And they couldn't strike their own commercial partnerships. So they would they basically be beholden to whatever the license holder, uh, sorry, license owner had. Whether that was FIFA to, for example, a, a World Cup level, or you know, they couldn't have competing uh, competing arrangements. Um, they I think the only exception would be if it was with individual league. So EA, as after spending years creating this ecosystem, creating this this brand loyalty, for many people, FIFA was now a video game. It was not a sports organization, and I think EA felt that this yeah this this ecosystem, this brand loyalty, and what you said before about having this data on on their on their on their users meant it felt confident it could go it could go it alone, and so. It decided not to renew its agreement. Though I think it was the, the final game was FIFA 23, which included the men's and, and the women's World Cup in there. And EA decided we're going to create our own brand, go a slightly different direction, and they decided they would strengthen the relationships with the individual competitions. So the Premier League, La Liga, um, etc. They've, they've signed a deal with UEFA for the European Championships. They already have the cha- uh, men's and women's Champions League. And decide to strengthen that and become more part of you know part of the game. So it's not just licensing; it's it's more of a, a wider platform. Um, it's got the title sponsorship of the La Liga, so it's EA Sports La Liga. You see EA the EA Sports FC logo all over 
matches now, whether it's broadcast graphics, it's the, I don't even know what you call them, but you know when, when the players come on the pitch and someone takes the ball from a ceremonial stand, that'll have EA Sports FC on it. It's on referee shirts. So EA just felt confident that it could go it alone. I, my, my suspicion is, this is my opinion, it probably would prefer not to. Um, just it preferred not to um, rock the boat and give them what was a you know what generates billions of dollars for it. But I think it felt the the combination of that lack of freedom, the opportunity cost, and also the increased financial demands decided. You know what I, th- I think I think I think this is time, and that's essentially why it was it was ostensibly a financial decision. But I think there have been a bit of um, a bit of tension bubbling under the surface for for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what I have been most interested in since is those deals they've been doing with all the other leagues. Um, I found them interesting because they're very eclectic in terms of the mix of, of uh, I've used that word twice in one podcast. Let's, uh, uh, let's either keep it alive uh, in future pods as well. But it, it's a diverse range of things, right? You talk about La Liga where they are everywhere. They are title sponsors. They are on all the, the respective um, kits and so forth across, across the, the coverage. Why do you think they decided to do that? Do you think that was more of a, a marketing investment, actually, like, hey, we want to create awareness of EAFC now moving forward? Right, because they could have just done the deals, paid a lot of money, paid a premium, and done the deals for the rights to have those, those sports properties. Do you think it was very much just a, in addition to that, hey, we want to really hit the, um, hit the ground running? And so we think that the best way to market a, a football video game is to just extend our partnership with them to be basically more of a traditional consumer-led sponsorship on top of that base layer of um, licensing? I think it's because EA doesn't see itself as adjacent to the sports industry. I think it sees itself as part of the sports industry. And by having its 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 branding within the world, world of football, people are going to see it as synonymous. Um, it's, 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 it's everywhere. It is going to drive awareness of that brand. People are going to know... I mean, uh, I would say most FIFA players would know it's going to be a Sports FC. I don't think that was really going to be too much. I didn't think it was going to be too much of a brand awareness issue. But it's now seen as part and parcel of the game. EA wants to be seen as, uh, I guess, I guess a core pillar of, of of football. It wants to be almost like you know you 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 watch, you play, you you know play the game on 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 the field but then you also play the, play play the game uh, it wants to be a platform for for football it doesn't want to be just a license holder it wants to be something in in in, in itself so i think it's all about just strengthening those ties you're right it could have just renewed its its license agreement got the teams got the the uh, the, the kit etc et but the other thing is these leagues want to be part of this game they know the, the value in being able to reach this audience engage them and also there's there's you know the degree of, of, of data sharing as well um which, which strengthens both both businesses you you know every eafc player is asked to name their favorite club that is hugely important we we, we see all of these inflated figures about clubs global fan bases oh we've got a billion fans i mean i'm not you know that I don't know how multiple clubs can have a billion fans, um, you know, around the world. But these are based on metrics like social followers, which aren't necessarily an indication of, of of fandom. So that's hugely valuable. There's marketing opportunities for you know for for, for both sides, and it's almost to get to the point where if you are not involved in this game as much as possible, you could miss out to another league. You know, if the Premier League isn't as much as much as La Liga, so it's in the club's interest to make sure that they have 
this might sound quite trivial, but the outside of their ground digitally recreated in the game so bring, to immerse fans as, as, as much as possible. So it's both sides, I think. Both EA wants to be seen as part of football, and and the, the clubs and the leagues now under they are under no illusions about the value of this in terms of fan engagement. I think it's a really really good point, and you think about the the power balance, let's say, that has ebbed and flowed between, say, EA Sports and maybe FIFA over the years. And FIFA was in a position they wanted to gain the most power and dictate those terms and, and obviously be very narrow on what licensing rights EA Sports had to play with. Well, now that whole dynamic with EA Sports and indeed the industry has completely changed because now they are funding and sponsoring and supporting all these leagues in addition to those licensing deals. So now EA Sports can really dictate some of those terms in in i'm sure they'll do it in in at least initially in the right way but it gives them a whole new position of market power and strength when they previously have just been in licensing arrangements which means they just get what they're given and, and that's it so it'll be interesting to see how much they lean into that and how much they 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 grow their influence on what happens on the pitch or indeed at least in in those stadiums you talked about I think one thing that's going to be fascinating to see is if FIFA decides that it needs to have a stronger presence in EAFC and, and how those negotiations go. We don't have a, a men's World Cup until 2026, but it's it's in North in North America, and you know who's going to get the rights to that tournament? Um, is it is is FIFA going to do something itself, or is it going to try and get that game in? Sorry, get get its tournament into EAFC. Same with that expanded club World Cup. Great way of reaching his fans, making fans aware, driving up the importance of that would be a global global video game. So, yeah, I think that is going to be fascinating. The power dynamics those nego- of those negotiations, although the fact that FIFA arguably let the, you know the probably the best deal in, in in the sports industry slip through its fingers makes me think they're perhaps not aware of the power of of, of eafc as a video game just yet but they, they, they should be so i want to talk about monetization and how ea sports is now able to unlock more revenue than we talked about before the main and obvious bit for me would be around in-game advertising um, you've seen um, for those who do watch a little bit more what's happening in different gaming spheres, Roblox is probably synonymous with doing a lot more brand partnerships where people can create their own spaces in the metaverse, um, which is uh, bringing a, a term that's not used as much in this day and age, but I think will continue to make a resurgence again. But Roblox is a great example of someone who's partnering with a lot of brands to create these these different sort of experiences in this virtual world. Um, but indeed, there is even organizations that I've heard of that just sell on-pitch advertising in games. And now that wasn't able to be done in the FIFA version because of all the rights restrictions that were in place. Now eSports, I guess, has free reign there, right? To, to sell to who they kind of want to, subject to the licensing agreements that they have in place with the leagues. Yep. So again, because we live in this age of you know internet-connected consoles, they can they can have these agreements. They could be for one weekend. They could be for a week, for, t- for two weeks. And it this is slightly off topic, but there was a game called Actua Soccer 3 many years ago on the, on the original PlayStation, and the developers signed a sponsorship deal with Bean, the ultimate disaster movie. And so that was in there for the whole year, increasingly losing relevance. And of course, that's just not something that that, that, that would happen today. Um, you know, you can. There's other things in in game items. You know, you could start selling sell, selling those special kits. Um, you know, uh, f- footballs. I mean, EA told me that you know we that they have a great relationship with Adidas. They love working with Adidas, but they also want to work with Nike and have their items in there and and, and driving awareness that way. And, and you mentioned metaverse environments. I mean, 
one thing that I'm, I'm thinking of, I don't know, again, I'm going down memory lane, but if you remember the a couple of the Nike adverts in the past, like that three on three football competition on the ship with Eric Cantona as the referee, why could you not recreate that game inside EAFC and create that as, mm. an, as an activation? And I should really be charging for that idea. I think that's a really good one. I love that. Um, you know, you get icon cards in in, in, in Ultimate Team, for, for for example. But it's not just pitch-side advertising. Um, again, we're looking at other ways. So Amazon is is a partner in this. So it comes up on the on the the, the I guess what you call the the broadcast graphics. So it come it comes up period, periodically. They're able to do that as well. About advertising for Twitch, and I think the most interesting way that they that they've they've use this new freedom so far is a deal with PepsiCo, which basically sees, uh, you know, a type of Pepsi, there's a sponsorship element to it, there's, you know, in-game activations, but then EAFC branding is appearing on bottles around the world. So you go into a chili cabinet and you're being alerted to the fact that EAFC exists and you can get in-game items if you buy Pepsi Max over Coke coke zero of course coca-cola has a very long relationship with 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 fifa so that's a deal that previously would have been impossible and also the other thing about to say about pepsi is that i always think they they're probably the best at um i don't know what the term is but they don't really have a they don't have sponsorship deal with world cups but they have those adverts before mm. each tournament and you know individual ambassadors so they make you it's think not quite, it's not quite ambush part. marketing but it's like it's not it's, quite guerrilla yeah, marketing it's, it's almost like hanging on yeah yeah yeah, so not 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 quite uh, ambush or guerrilla marketing, but uh, it's 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 near it. So again, that's that's new ways that they can, they can they can do this freedom, and they're going to create you know it's, it's new revenue opportunities. And again, it's about creating this platform for the football industry that goes beyond just licensing video game rights. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I've played the basketball, the NBA two K basketball game, and I haven't played it for a couple of years. But one of the things that uh, you know, kids get in the road of these things, right? I don't have as much disposable time as I used to. Uh, but one of the things that stood out for me is they have things like the Gatorade Center, where you have to go to get rehydrated to play. Um, with, you know, you get you get tired and stuff like that. And uh, they also have a lot of brand related stuff. They even have, and uh, the one game I saw in the career mode, they had nike um agents and adidas agents in the game that you have to be doing deals with as well as the, the kit and clothing so it's a bit like you think about for those that aren't familiar with the gaming space think about like movies and you see like product placement it's a bit like that but actually on steroids it's much more methodical about how they're integrated into the game it's quite immersive how they, they bring that to life and re- really really interesting so definitely an area that uh, makes those brand experiences uh, takes them a whole another level from anything else i can think of well this is purely speculative but the nba has always been known as a, a more progressive institution especially when it comes to technology so it maybe that's the terms of 2k's license that they they don't have to be um beholden to because you know their, their partnership is with you know with, with adidas or you know, it has been obviously nike is hugely important in the in the basketball space so they, they kind of understand what they're doing and they know that to create that level of of realism that these things need to be included as well and it, and it makes mm. i guess the thing makes financial sense yeah absolutely so we've got a couple of things to wrap up on here but one thing i want to talk about is obviously what fifa is doing now so a lot of people are expecting FIFA to do something, you know, you don't just walk away from hundreds of millions a year in licensing deal and and um, or in in sort of a, and brand exposure that they were getting from the deal they had with esports and not try and mitigate some of those losses. So, what are some of the moves they've made, Steve, to to try and I guess I'm um, no doubt bring some other games to the the mix that they think may compete with EAFC, or are they taking a completely different approach? 
they're taking a different approach. They have been spurred into action. And I think you can look at its video game strategy as part of a wider digital shift at, at FIFA and its direct-to-consumer approach. We saw that with the launch of FIFA Plus, which is this global platform for, for football. Uh, gives them an opportunity to, to uh, reach markets and a broadcast deal. Also gives, I guess, um, minor leagues or leagues that aren't important in some countries a, a global platform. So it for, forms part of that, that wider ecosystem, mm. which is obviously them experiment with metaverse um you know they're looking at web, web, web three initiatives so they've not created anything analogous to to what what uh, ea sports fc is nor have they partnered with another company that's partly because of what I mentioned the, the associated cost of creating a rival is hugely it, it's it's very difficult and and also EA, e-football does exist but i don't know if that would be the right move for it just yet given eFootball's ambitions and also probably wouldn't be in a position to to make that financial contribution so they've been focusing on you know metaverse experiences uh working with with upland they're working with 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 roblox they've they're looking at they're looking at mobile games they've launched a an ai powered um game uh which like the name of which gets me but it's, they're working with, with a company called futureverse on, on on that so they're doing lots of different things and and Interesting. Some of these things are things I think that were things that EA was wasn't allowed to do in the terms of its license. So I think they're looking to see what they, what what they can do with that. So they're not competing directly, but you know I, I did mention facetiously that they might not be aware of the value of video games. They they are. I just don't think they realised the the how good their 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 deal was with 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 EA and then you know perhaps there was room for more more compromise there but they're, they're, they're trying different things trying to reach fans in, in a different way and and ea have released a mobile game but look when you're targeting consumers around the world the best way to do that is through a mobile phone right you know there's there's, there's billions and billions of, of mobile connections around around the world so the, i think looking at those kinds of experience those mobile first experiences um more free to play rather than than, than than charging for it and again just trying to cement those direct engagement routes between fifa and, and the consumer which is also going through streaming and, and, and web3 so to wrap on um, on this sort of topic i, I i'm just curious to get your take on this is basically is this you know infantino is in the news a lot when he when he speaks uh normally for things that he probably shouldn't have said but he's been running running for quite a while now but do, do you think that a lot of people he, and they copped a lot of scrutiny scrutiny over this deal and the loss of this deal and this relationship do you think this is that a huge drop ball a huge mistake by fifa not to continue working with ea sports or do you think actually you know what it's not it's not that bad they, they will find ways to bridge the gap and and from a brand exposure yes they lose that brand appeal but it doesn't matter like do you think it's a a real big miss or actually it's it's it they'll 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 get over this and then pretend like it never happened there are a lot of smart people at fifa i think uh, the launch of FIFA Plus in particular was one of the most exciting things that the governing body has done. I think it was a really smart move. You know, really just they're quite impressed, especially with the how they, they conceptualized and delivered to that platform. So they are capable of being able to judge things and, and, and create digital products people want to use. I think ultimately it will prove a mistake. I think they had a really good deal where they were being paid a lot of money for doing or offering very little. And I actually think the bigger loss will be that brand exposure rather than that direct revenue. Of course, they would like to have the revenue, but I feel in terms of making FIFA relevant to younger audiences, having that being synonymous with the world's biggest video game effectively, that was just something that is not going to come come around again. Um, 
I think they'll definitely find ways to engage fans. Like I said before, I think that, you know, that mobile devices are a great opportunity. They do have the World Cup as this massive platform. They are trying to build a club World Cup, which will offer further opportunities. So I, I think they will have something that will, will appeal to fans. I, just, I, I think it's a strategic misstep that perhaps there wasn't quite the realization that FIFA was not as important to EA Sports as perhaps they thought they thought it was. They thought they could they could increase revenue um, without offering more. And ultimately, I think you know it, it, it will be a strategic strategic misstep. I think we'll have to see what what FIFA do in in, in the long term. Uh, but as I said, yes, I think there's a huge opportunity cost there, uh, and that might be bigger than the financial terms. Although the, the financial terms were significant, we can't just gloss over um, 100 million a year. That's that's, that's or, or reported, sorry, 100 million a year. That's that's a huge amount for anyone. But um, when the the World Cup makes as much money as it does, and and its other initiatives, it's it's not quite as big as as it could be. Yeah, I agree. I, I would. Be interested to see what FIFA do end up doing. Uh, I think it is a mis- misstep by them to not make this deal happen. I've been very intrigued on how Infantino has reacted to also what happened with like the broadcasting around the Women's World Cup and trying to negotiate in public almost and tell people almost shame the broadcasters. I just think maybe he needs a bit more support on those on those negotiations and how to approach these deals than perhaps he's had in the past. I think the. the- Funny enough, you should mention that. I think there are analogies with how they negotiate those rights deals, and in terms of the negotiations, they, they perhaps you know they had an idea of what those rights were worth, but weren't able to necessarily prove it at the time. It may happen in the future with the Women's World Cup, um, and you know we could we, you know we could see bigger bids next time. Uh, again, another missed opportunity, the Women's World Cup, in terms of how they they went to market with that. Uh, particularly, I'm speaking from the UK. They 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 could have had weeks of promotion across various programs. They didn't have that, so. If they'd gone for, you know, if they negotiated deals earlier, then they would have had that and perhaps would have got more money next time. So it remains to be seen. But back to back to video games, yes, I, I think maybe they, they do need to have, you know, perhaps more people in the room, perhaps able to, to explain explain these things. And, and, and the final thing I would say is it's also really good to have EA as a partner. I think uh, you're looking at what they're doing with motorsport now. So EA bought Codemasters, which had the the license to both Formula One and, and World Rally Championship. Now that's going to take F1 to another level as part of its its ongoing, you know, well documented growth. But for a sport like World Rally to have EA on board, that's massive in terms of cross promotion ability. You know, abilities. I don't think a lot of people do necessarily. You know, I mean, rally is necessarily you know it's a minority sport. It's quite difficult to to watch uh, to cover on TV. It doesn't quite translate. It's a fantastic sport. I really like it, but it doesn't really translate to TV as well as it it could beyond that core audience. They're going to have this video game platform to reach entirely new audiences. People who you know might not really know about rally or remember the old games or something like that i think that's a huge thing for for wrc and what it's trying to do uh, big time uh and i actually I remember playing that Sega rally i think the game was in the arcades when i yeah. was growing up which yeah. was actually so good and i was a terrible driver but uh i'm using some of those skills to drive <laughs> over here in jamaica because you'd have to drive like a rally driver to survive here um but look steve that's been a, a great sort of deep dive into the business of gaming and particularly what's been happening um, with EA Sports and with FIFA. Uh, I, for one, yeah, just what, interested to see what happens next from FIFA's perspective. And indeed, just in the sports gaming space, it feels like whilst there are some big major titles that exist now, EAFC seems to have hit the ground running. It'll be interesting to see how much they share with regards to the performance and how it does compare and contrast with the days of the FIFA game. But one thing's for sure, um, sports needs to continue to look at the gaming space closely and see how we can leverage the, the, the relationship gaming has 
with its audiences and, and not think it's all, all the other way around. But look, that is all we've got time for. Thanks again, Steve, for joining us. Um, and Steve, how can uh, you know, some of our listeners find you on various platforms? Well, you can find me at uh, at Mickey Caskell on X, the, uh, the social media network formerly known 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 as Twitter, and I'm on LinkedIn where I post a selection of my, my content. So feel free to follow me on there. And all of uh, Steve's explainers are obviously published on the Sports Pro website. So make sure you do check out those things. Uh, both some things um, part of the Sports Pro Plus membership, but indeed some things are also available to all who go onto the platform. So that's it for us. Thanks very much for listening and um, look forward to speaking with you all next week. Bye for now. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the Sports Pro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast. Mm-hmm.